0: Welcome to the podcast, Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking dialogue about everyday dilemmas. New episodes are available twice monthly on the first and third Wednesdays. You can find them at our website, ethicsandetiquette.com, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We're going to pivot slightly from our usual scenario-driven format today. In the past, we've offered advice and guidance on specific situations you might encounter in your life. Today, we thought we'd do a wrap-up of the takeaways we've mentioned in past episodes. You can use these principles to help you with the sticky situations you come across. They're valuable, timeless, and applicable in so many ways. I'm your host, Marna Ashburn. Let me introduce the rest of the team. First up is wife, mother, and attorney, Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Marna. Good morning, Mike. And Mike Derrick, a retired Army officer, combat vet, and father of four. Hello, Mike. Mike.
1: Good morning, everybody.
0: So we're doing a slightly different format this week. We're going to share some of our lessons learned through good and bad decisions in our life. We have mentioned these in other podcasts, but I thought it would be useful to consolidate some of these principles that help you make ethical decisions in your life. And we each have a few to share. And we're going to talk about them today. Mike, you mentioned that you have some ethical principles that you like to follow in your life. Do you want to share a couple of them?
1: Oh, Marna, I knew you were going to throw this to me first.
0: Of course. Um, You're the philosophical one. Thank
1: you. Well, (laughs) let's not get carried away here. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of have this collection of, you know, it's not some formal... Philosophical system, but it's just things that I've learned to live by. I think for everybody who's listening today, it comes from who you are and how you were raised and the life experiences you bring. But it's hard to go wrong if you kind of keep what I, what we all know as the golden rule in mind, which comes out of the gospel, right? Just for a consistency, what is the golden rule? So the golden rule is do to others as you would have them do to you. So that comes out of the gospel, and I think it's something that just about everybody in this world should be living by, and if they all did, it would be a much better place. But I use that a lot, you know, because I think it's a great filter through which to view your own actions. If I do this thing and it has an effect on somebody else, you know, would I want the tables to be turned? Would I want that same action to come back at me? If you can answer in the affirmative, then it's probably a pretty good thing to do. So it addresses so many different elements within life and human relationships. You know, my mom, I'm sure my mother, I don't remember this specifically, but my mother was a very wise woman, and I'm sure this was something that she, uh, I know she modeled it. So that's something that I tend to stick with. I've got other though, others, Marna, but I don't want to, you know, hog the microphone here, so.
0: <laughs> well, I think the golden rule is an excellent principle, and I've heard many organizations say, when in doubt, use the golden rule. If you're having trouble deciding on a course of action, use the golden rule, and I love that. And you said it would be good for everybody in the world to follow. Interestingly, I read that the golden rule operates in almost every culture. Somewhere in each culture there is the golden rule, so it really is golden.
1: Yeah, it's pretty universal. I mean, in our system, in our culture, it comes out of the Bible, but I thought you're right. I mean, look at any functioning societal unit, and there will be something that resembles that.
0: Yeah, so that's the perfect thing to start with. The next thing that I use often, I find it very useful. We had this in college. Kelly and I went to college together. It was also in practice at West Point, and that's the honor code. I will not lie, cheat, or steal. And I find that whenever I'm faced with a dilemma, and maybe I'm trying to rationalize something, if I go back to the honor code and ask myself, am I lying, am I cheating, or am I stealing, if I say yes to any of those three, the best course of action is not to do what I'm considering. I think it's a fantastic code to go by. I was told that not a lot of people... Know what the honor code is, unless you've been to a military academy or a prep school, but we had it in college, and I think it's a great philosophy.
1: It is good, it's very prescriptive, but it definitely sets a set of ground rules for that society to function. The military is is a different type of organization. There's not many organizations where every member has uh, signed up for ultimate liability, so that you know bottom line is. I am willing to give my life for this purpose and this cause, and anybody who joins the military, whether they know it or not, signs up for that ultimate liability. So having that, that very stern and directive set of rules by which to live, I think sets a very effective context for that community. I agree with you, Marn. It's interesting that you find that so such a touchstone, because I certainly do. And, uh, you know, my wife and I both went to West Point. So it it helps us within the context of our family. And, you know, I can only hope a little bit rubbed off on our kids. And I think it did.
0: And the good thing about it is it's short and clear, and there's no mistaking the directive that it asks of you. Right. Right. There's no waffling The next one I wanted to mention is, and we've talked about this several times too, is keep as long a term perspective on your decision as possible because better decisions are made when you keep the long term in mind. What feels good or feels right in the short term may not play out too well in the long term.
2: Very true, Marna. (laughs) I I think you want to try to live consistent with your values which hopefully are based upon morals and ethics. And what I try to do when I have a major decision is not be impulsive, not feel like I have to take action or make a decision right then, Um, especially if something occurs that you feel like, oh, I need to respond to. Try to take a breath, take a break, You know, wait a day, and then see how you're feeling about it. And communication is really the key. You wanna be authentic and truthful in the way you live your life and in the way you communicate with others. Manners are really important. I think manners really make a person. So you wanna always try to be polite. And I've really tried to talk to my kids about this and really make it a part of their lives. Um, And I particularly saw it, we spent time in Texas, and I was so impressed by the manners and how the parents really required it of the kids. And I just think it makes a difference and it, it helps you learn to respect others. I also think it's important to live with a sense of humor and be able to laugh every day. It makes the day so much better and be able to laugh at yourself. I agree. Back to the manners,
0: Kelly, what would you say to somebody who didn't have the benefit of being taught manners when they were growing up? How, how would they know what they are? Well, you could research
2: them. <laughs> but I think it's really simple it's, it's thank you It's please It's yes sir, no sir Yes ma'am, no ma'am And if you're an adult You could just use somebody's name You know, yes Marna No Mike You know, that kind of thing Instead of yeah, whatever You know, that kind of stuff It just, it really shows that you care about the other person And you respect their perspective And even it's so important to say thank you to people within your family. It just makes a difference. I know my my young son is 15 and he's working on it. It makes me feel so much better when I give him a ride or go out of my way to help him with something, especially driving. It's a lot of driving at at age 15 because he doesn't have a license. When he says, oh, thanks, mom, or thanks for helping me out, it just makes a difference.
0: Relevance and acknowledgement is so key. Definitely. Now, Mike said once, and I found this to be true too, one, I don't know a person who doesn't have regrets about something they've done or not done. Uh, I certainly do I have regrets. I look back in the past. I have them. The good thing about regrets is that there's always a lesson in there somewhere. So one of the philosophies I use these days when I'm making a decision, an ethical decision, will this be a bad decision that stands alongside my bed at 3 a.m. for years to come? Some poet said that. I... I don't even know who the poet is. I tried to find the poem and I can't, but he wrote, It's three AM and every bad decision I've ever made in my life is standing alongside my bed.
1: Well (laughs) that's very good. That's very good.
0: So I'll ask myself well and I and I do have, you know, the three AM bad decisions. I do. So I'll ask myself, Well I have this bad decision standing in my bedroom at three AM because I don't want it. I don't want any more And that's just kind of going back to what I was saying about keeping the long-term in perspective.
1: I think that's a great idea, Marna. I love your characterization of of this as the long-term or the long game because short-term interest, long-term interest, usually harmony within societies, within families, within relationships. It always goes back to what's good over the long haul. Yeah. uh, So I think you're onto something there.
0: And impulsive decisions are pretty much synonymous with just keeping the short-term in mind. Impulsive decisions are usually never very good.
2: Yeah, and just for me, you know, I'm a real talker. A lot of times I just stay out of trouble by being quiet. My mom said to us many times, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. (laughs) So a lot of times just being quiet is your best option. Right, right? a little restraint is a good thing. Yeah, it's your (laughs) most ethical option. You can always choose to say something later if you feel like you need to, but it's not going to hurt to wait a little bit.
0: Yes, now, Mike, you have said s- several times some advice that your mother no I wasn't your mother, but it relates to your mother. What was that
2: so
1: um I think I've shared this before at least once, and that is uh you know I worked for a a very uh, a real gentleman in the army he was a he was a general officer he was known throughout the army for his sense of fairness and morality and was something right or wrong and he used to give lectures on ethics, not just to his own troops, but to broader audiences. And one thing that he said, I think I was about to take a, a new and important position. So he had all of us who were in that moment. We were just, we'd been selected uh, for a command position. And he was he was on a, a video teleconference or something, giving us this uh, talk he has about ethics and command. He said, you know, you can find all sorts of ways to parse this out. But he said, what I like to do is ask myself the question, would I feel comfortable telling my mother about this? And, um, (laughs) you know, back (laughs) to my That really brings it down to the (laughs) bare essentials, doesn't it? Yeah. The other one is that he used to often say is, Would you feel good about this if it was on the front page of the newspaper? So those two things kind of stick in my head. Again, it speaks to your, your sense of the long-term, Marna, and it's a good thought to live by. There's no doubt about that. So it saved me from calamity a couple different times. I'll tell you that.
2: Yeah, I have a funny story about trying to be ethical when I was young and, and trying to be you know, truthful. It's a little bit long, but are you guys interested? Go ahead. Oh,
1: yeah. Go. Go, Kelly, go.
2: (laughs) I've run into people, uh, it's been many years since I graduated from law school, and and most of them bring it up and say, oh, remember that time? So I had a tax class in law school, which, of course, most of us hated. I particularly hated uh, because it had like sort of a little bit of a math component to it and a lot of time spent with IRS regs and, you know, related provisions. So... And when you go, go to class in law school, it's the Socratic method. So you have to be ready to be called upon at any moment and comment on, you know, your reading of a case or a statute or a reg and, and just be ready to discuss it. So I hated going to class not prepared. And, and luckily, it didn't happen too much. But I went to tax class unprepared this day. And one of the things that really bothered me when I was in law school was how many people got called on and just, when they weren't prepared, just sat there and like never said a word, turned around like the professor was calling on somebody else. It just was a bad scene. Of course, I go into class, I'm very anxious, I'm going to be called on, I'm not prepared. I'm sitting there, you know, it's a large class, huge lecture, you know, maybe 100 kids. Our whole law school class, I think it was second year, we had this professor, Professor Schwarzenegger. (laughs) I swear it was no
0: Schwarzenegger. way Schwarzenegger.
2: Yeah, I, I think it was. It might have been Schwartz. Well. Anyways, was so he a big was, guy? No, no, it was a woman, <laughs> and she was very tall. <laughs> And of course, I'm tall. I think being tall is great. But she was probably six feet tall and she wasn't comfortable with it. So she always kind of slouched a little and she's a bit of a mumbler. So we're in class and she's, you know, rrr, rrr, rrr. and so I hear Halligan, Miss Halligan, rrr, Miss Halligan or something. So I, I say, OK, this is it. <laughs> so I say very loud, l- loudly, you know, I'm sorry, Professor Schwarzenegger, but I'm not prepared. You just oh. you just owned it. You just yeah, owned I just it. owned it. Oh. Right. Because she called on me, I'm not prepared. I'm just gonna come out and say it. I mean I'm i I'm not gonna be a wimp. I realize as I'm saying this, the two people next to me are looking at me like shocked, like um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: Because you just threw somebody else under the bus, Kelly. That's what happened.
2: <laughs> Professor Schwarzenegger <laughs> says Miss Halligan, thank you for sharing that with us. But I called on Miss Callahan. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. And everybody is just <laughs> laughing. The two guys next to me, who I was buddies with, um, they both one was one ended up going into the Marines and the other was a military guy. They had to leave because they were crying. <laughs> they found it so amusing, and after class. Mary Margaret Callahan comes up to me and says, hey, thanks, thanks for bailing me out on that. I wasn't prepared either. Because after that, she didn't call on Miss Callahan, she just moved on and the whole class just couldn't get over it. Anyways, one of my embarrassing moments where I tried to be ethical. So what did you think about being the comic relief for the class? Oh my gosh, it was so embarrassing, but but so funny. Like it's something, I graduated from, from law school in 1988. So you think about all those years, I still remember it, and and people still bring it up. They find it so funny.
1: That is amazing. Well,
0: thank you for your candor, Kelly. Mike, you mentioned the advice would you do this in front of your mother would you tell your mother about this mm-hmm. i have some advice that my father used to say and i it was kind of abstract and i didn't understand it at the time it, it took me years to comprehend it covers a lot you know we talk about a lot of scenarios in these shows some are etiquette based which are kind of you know, kind of minors just how do you treat people and some are ethics based and the stakes are higher but my dad had this like one size fits all thing he would say well, that's just bad form, that's just bad form. And I didn't understand what bad form meant. I was, I think, well into adulthood before I figured out what bad form was. And that is anything that's outside the bounds of decency and good taste. That one is pretty useful too, is this bad form. that's
1: really good. That echoes Kelly's uh, experience in Texas with just graciousness, civility, politeness. Um, Those things go a long ways. And even when things get tough, you know, like there's a really difficult situation, having those, those habits that you fall back on, it makes all the difference.
2: So,
0: yeah, as they would say in the South, that's just tacky. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) well it's almost like maybe sometimes talking the talk helps you walk the walk you know when you're constantly making sure you say thank you and please and yes sir no sir maybe you naturally have more respect for others and their perspective and that's what i felt when i lived in texas yeah Yeah,
1: i would think so interesting
2: I would think it would pull you right along.
1: Marno, if I could for a moment, because on this note, just something jumped to mind, and uh, it's, it's a powerful example. Kathy and I have an elderly relative who, unfortunately, is suffering from Alzheimer's, and, um, and that's many families, many people unfortunately have to go through this and and it's it's difficult it's painful but one thing i would note is that you know we're talking about a scaffolding here in terms of what rules do you live by for a lifetime this elderly relative although she has lost touch with much of what's going on has never lost her just the little turns of phrase that make her a well-mannered, gracious woman, and it is absolutely amazing that things can be going so poorly, and that she has um, just she's lost much of her her memory, lost much of her mind. But she is polite, she is gracious, she is pleasant all the time, without exception. And so we talk about a scaffolding to live by, and boy, I. I see that and I tuck that right into my my rucksack and I'm going to carry that one with me, you know. She doesn't falter. It's remarkable and it's a wonderful example that I've picked up.
0: That tells me it goes really deep in her.
1: Oh yeah, you know, it's it's something she learned throughout life and then she practiced every single day.
0: It's loaded so, into her hardware.
1: Yeah, and it's a wonderful thing. That's and, interesting. Uh, because it could be, it, I mean, every family has its own experience, and sometimes Alzheimer's can cause people to be very, very different. They can lose their personality. She has not lost her personality, fortunately. This element remains very, very strong, and it's a, it's a gift. It's a gift to her, and it's a gift to the rest of us. So
0: That's wonderful.
2: Yeah, I mean, th- those kinds of things just stand you in good stead your whole life and can sometimes make the difference in your career, in your personal life, in so many ways, because it's the little things that really add up.
0: All right, let's review of the rules to live by for a lifetime that we talked about. First off is the golden rule, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And that's biblical. I didn't know that, Mike. Thanks for telling me that. Second one, you might want to consider when you're making a decision and you want to make sure it's an ethical decision, call on the honor code. Am I lying, am I cheating, or am I stealing? If you're answering yes to any one of those, maybe you shouldn't do it. Kelly's idea, and I think it's a great one, when in doubt, be quiet. And the second one is remember your manners. One we have talked about a couple times is keep the long-term in perspective when you're making a difficult decision, because a long-term perspective will yield a better decision. Would you tell your mother about this? That's a great little yardstick. And also, would you like to see this written up on the front page of the newspaper? How would you feel about that? And then my father's, is this bad form? And range of bad form can be what you make of it. Basically, is this decent behavior that's in good taste?
2: I would say, you know, remember to communicate. Of course, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. But you want to communicate and be truthful, which goes back to the honor code. And I always think laugh. I know we're talking about ethical scaffolding, but mm-hmm. it's yeah. always good to laugh yeah. and retain your sense of humor. I, I think it can often help you through tough times and, oh, and help so you true. and just help you with ethical dilemmas as well. I just think it helps with everything. You don't want to take yeah. yourself too seriously.
1: Yeah, I think of that as humor, civility, politeness. Those are kind of lubricants for the machine of society. You're so right, Kelly. I couldn't agree more.
0: All right, on those two uplifting comments, I think we'll end this discussion, but let's keep the conversation going. Send us an email or leave us a voicemail with your comments. You can do it at our website, www.ethicsandetiquette.com. We're also on Instagram at Ethics Etiquette. If you want to support what we're doing, subscribe to this podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, And we'd appreciate it if you took time to leave a positive review while you're there. And thank you to all of you who keep recommending this podcast to your friends and family members. For Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman and Mike Derrick, I'm Marna Ashburn, and this is Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking dialogue about everyday dilemmas. It's good to be with you today, and please join us in two weeks for an all-new episode. See you then.